Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Married 39 years, three years sober for husband who has suffered from depression our entire marriage. His depression has gotten worse since the walls have come down and he sees the damage he has done. I have made great strides through this, but dealing with the depression is dragging me down. Feels like depression is just as selfish as SA is. Any advice on how to use the codependence model for depression? Thanks for all you do. Well, what first comes to mind, and I think this takes a little bit of thinking and work, is there's a big difference between shame and depression. Yeah. You know, depression is a chronic you're depressed in the morning, you're depressed in the evening, you're depressed when you wake up, you know, you don't have a lot of energy for stuff. Sometimes men can get angry, sometimes we can get sleepy and, and sad, you know, all the usual stuff. But that's very different from when we are reminded of something that we did badly or some way we've hurt you. And then we kind of go into shame and it looks like depression, but it's really more like, I hate myself, I can't believe I do this. What was I thinking? I'm a terrible person. And you're right. That part is selfish <laughs> because, in, in fact, I'll just say we read impact letters at the treatment center. And so I will always ask a spouse to send a letter about what you have experienced with your husband. Uh, and, and then we will read or your partner and we will read those in group. And um, it really shocks me the amount of, first of all, the amount of pain that you guys are in and the amount of pain that you put up with. Um, and things that I didn't even realize where you were putting up with, like, like a lot of anger and angry acting out, breaking things, yelling, you know, that makes me really sad. But in any case, one of the things we do when we read this impact letter is, of course, the man whose spouse it is kind of looks down, they're sitting in group, they don't want anyone to see them. And when you say what's going on, they say, oh, I hate myself. I'm a terrible person. I can't believe I did this. Um, uh, what, you know, what kind of dad am I? All that. And you're right. That is selfish because it's, you know, what I say to them is I'm really sorry you're crying about how awful you are. And I'm really sorry you feel so terrible. But that is not the same as saying, I can't imagine what my family's been through. I can't imagine the pain my wife is in. In other words, turning that pain inwards, it's narcissistic. Selfish is a common word for it. But it's all about the collapse of me. I collapse into myself when I can't tolerate something that that upsets me about myself. So the question for you is, is it really depression or is it more related to the situation? And situational things are different than a chronic thing like depression. Tammy, do you have Well, thoughts? I would, so, so let's talk about chronic depression, like the, you know, like the medical version of, you know, uh, a depression and what, how would you distinguish between that versus what you've just shared? And what would you suggest they do if that is actually the case well since you said that you know how i am i, I just looked up depression so that uh here's a self-assessment so uh i agree fine uh lost of pleasure in doing things um feeling down depressed or hopeless um having trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, or sleeping too much. These are typical sort of criteria by which we define uh, major depression or emotional depression that requires treatment. Uh, having very little energy, feeling tired a lot of the time. Poor appetite, either under eating, I just 
work with someone who lost 10 pounds in about three weeks or overeating, just constantly trying to comfort yourself. It's about extremes, too much sleep, not enough sleep, um, feeling pretty much down about everything, not enjoying things, feeling badly about yourself or that you are a failure or have let your family down. Now that is something we feel when we have been acting out and we get in trouble, but it doesn't mean that all those other symptoms are necessarily there. Um, I'm almost done here, Tammy. Let's see, other signs of depression. Trouble concentrating on things like reading the newspaper, watching TV, just kind of get distracted or lost or can't follow it. Moving or speaking slowly so that other people might have noticed like you're kind of, you know, like that, or the opposite. People are really fidgety, really restless. And men and women can be different in this way. Men can uh, tend to express our depression in more active ways. And so we don't look depressed. We get angry, we get irritable, we get demanding more than usual. And, uh, but you ladies, you tend to get depressed by getting in bed and crying a lot. And it's just a different presentation of it in different genders. Um, you thought that you would be better off dead or disappearing or hurting yourself. Um, that's pretty much it. So to me, it's really about functionality. How much is this inhibiting your sleep, your eating, your ability to relate to people? And it's chronic. It's like Tammy said, I don't just hear, hear what I did with you and have you get mad at me and go to bed, go to bed early and then wake up okay and I'm depressed. Um, I'm depressed if I wake up self-hating and can barely out of bed and I'm angry and irritable all the time. So it's just the difference between being chronic and situational. I'm sorry that took so long. No, no, that, that was really helpful. And, you know, there, you know, it, for somebody who is, has con chronic depression, then having a qualified professional who understands addiction, totally do a good assessment and evaluate, and then possibly put on medication just to, you know, raise the bar to more neutral, you know, but it, it also, my other question is uh, curiosity is what is this person doing for their recovery? Because if they're, actively engaged in recovery, then, you know, the, the reality is if you're in recovery, you're doing things for other people, you're working on a program, you're working on bettering yourself and you start to feel better unless you're clinically depressed. So, so getting, you're less isolated. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, you know, you're starting to go, okay, yes, these things I did, you know, were not helpful and they were hurtful and all those, but I'm going to be able to deal with those one piece at a time, you know, if I do the work, but if somebody is I'm going to use wallowing in not doing anything and using I'm depressed as an excuse not to do anything, then either they're wallowing or they really do have clinical depression that, you know, should be, but getting somebody who's actually expert at helping diagnose what is really going on, you know, may be useful, but. I just want to add one thing, Tammy, is that depression, the kind we're talking about is, is a biological issue. So, you know, I remember I did go through a depressive period. And if you think about all these things, sleeping or not sleeping, eating or not eating, being obsessive, these are all biological symptoms. And feeling shameful or uncomfortable and happy doesn't leave your body changing. Um, I think people are depressed. I, you know, I lost 15 pounds. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to do anything over the weekends. You know, it, it was that kind of thing. And I had to take medication, not because, you know, I needed to be on medication, but because my body uh, and all, I'm talking about hormones, the functionality of my brain, my physical body was not, I couldn't get out of it. I couldn't get out of it by myself. I needed something to sort of give me a foundation so then I could do better with my life. And uh, yeah, so it's biological. Yeah, but getting the diagnosis, getting the right 
diagnosis changes things. It's like with sex addiction, we talk about, you know, I, I have lots of calls for people who have been to multiple treatment programs for alcohol and drug abuse, and nobody has talked to them about their sexual acting out, which is often primary issue that is, you know, hasn't been treated. Well, you know, that's why getting the right diagnosis leads to better help and treatment. So, okay. How concerned should I be if my husband just told me that he used to watch incest porn? Do men who watch this typically act out on their own children? Well, I mean, it's just, when I hear a question like this, regardless of the outcome or what we have to say, it's just, it makes me sad because whatever this person is looking at is disturbing. And then the fact that they're looking at, looking at it is disturbing. And it just makes me, it's just a whole different level of concern and of um, kind of discomfort that I have just reading the question. But Tammy, I, I'm glad to start or if you want to. I, th this one, like I want Dr. Rob, because this really is, you know, is what's, you know, what's legal, what's not like all of those, you know, type of things. I, I think it would be helpful to talk about, you know, offender behavior and not offender. And, you know, and we have talked before about, as I say, I want you to start and then I start, but we have talked about watching porn doesn't necessarily, I know, doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to act out on it, but, but, you know, is there something, yeah, I'd be concerned just hearing what they're watching too, but I think it would be helpful for Dr. Rob to talk about, you know, does watching this type of porn lead to, you know, problematic behavior? So. Um, so one of the things I wrote down, cause I wouldn't remember this is why did he bring it up? What made that come Ooh, up at the that's dinner a good table? Question. Yeah. You know, and I don't know just that alone. Like you've been married for a while and you've had kids and you're, and all of a sudden you hear about this. I just, that makes me uncomfortable. Like if you, it just, I, I wonder why now that's always a question we have as therapists, but in this, so what I don't want to do is all have all the spouses say, my, my kids are unsafe. My husband's a sex addict. My, 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 my uh, wife is a sex addict and I've had women do these things to kids too. So in any case, I, I really want the, the spouses to understand that it is highly unusual. In fact, I don't think I've ever run into a case where a sex addict has crossed a line with their own children. I don't think I've ever experienced that. I, it's not to say it doesn't happen and that people Certainly they do these things, but in the world I live in, which is pretty functional people who are living lives and have families, and they generally aren't the kind of person who would do that in, in particular. However, um, so what I'm saying to all of you spouses of sex addicts is please, you, you often say to us um, when we figure out sex addiction in your partner, oh my God, what about the kids? And it's like, really, that is a very, very minor concern, although I completely understand it. And you should discuss it with their individual therapist, them, you should speak it to them, all your concerns. But this is a different situation. This is someone who's actually uh, not just looking at porn, looking at porn regularly, having affairs, you know, all those things that drive us to addiction treatment. This is something that concerns me. If my spouse looked at this kind of porn, I would be concerned about my kids. And that's, that's so, let me explain the difference. I work with men who've crossed the line into underage porn. They've looked at 16 year olds. Some have looked at younger. I go to court. I'm an expert witness. So I often write reports and go to the court because a judge doesn't understand, you know, when he's looking or she's looking at an image, they're just so horrified by that. They don't understand 
that there are many different kinds of people who do this. So when someone is compulsively looking at porn, and if they were to escalate or focus a lot on child porn, I probably would not be as concerned as in this case. But your spouse is looking at incest porn. It's not just underage. It could even be adults, but, but that doesn't make me feel comfortable. And I would definitely want to say, hey, we need some therapy because I want to sit down and understand if you're not either one of you or not. What did you, why, why did you look at that? And what does it mean for our kids? And it's not something I think you're going to resolve just the two of you. But I think this does concern me. And I, for some reason, it concerns me that he brought it up. Um, and by the way, in these situations, I wouldn't just be worried about your kids. What about the babysitter? You know? What about them? What about the teaching aid or the teaching assistant? What about the camp, you know, someone at camp? I mean, there are lots of uh, people who will get, uh, there are lots of situations where someone will act out if they're this far along that isn't necessarily with their kids. So, um, Tammy, I just said a lot. I do, yeah, no, but I think you, you touched on it too, was the adult. I mean, it doesn't, like my mind went immediately to children, but that doesn't necessarily, right. I mean, incest does not necessarily mean children. I think it would be really important to understand exactly what it was and that I used to do this. Like, you know, to me, if this person, you know, has some addiction traits, you know, they're lying, you know, they're minimizing. So, so it would be like, you know, I used to do this. Was that last week when I used to do that? Or was it, you know, in college? I mean, like I would, I would really want to understand and what else is going on. So having, again, a qualified professional really assess and um, help identify what's going on for each of you, you know, would be really helpful. And so you, you mentioned you do uh, legal consults. He also does two hour like one-time expert consultations for couples that are, that can be really helpful in identifying the issues and guiding next steps. So, you know, it's only two hours. It's not therapy or treatment, but man, a lot of couples have really found it um, uh, validating, eye-opening, uh, informative, guiding, what, whatever, you know, though um, so that could be something too. I, but I would absolutely, I would get some professional help about that. So. I want to add one more thing, which is that you can't say the porn made me do it. There are some people who say, oh, I never had this interest in trans this, or I never had this interest in s and that until I saw the porn, and I watch it so much online that I became hooked on it. There are people who didn't realize there are parts of themselves that were kind of unconscious, and they didn't know where they were into guys, or they didn't know they're into this and that, and then they see the porn, and it's not like the porn made them do it. It's that a part of them wakes up and says, oh, I'm kind of interested in that too, and so we may not always be aware of what is under the surface. What I wanted to say about all that, though, is if I had a man, if I had a spouse come to me and said, you know, my husband looks at gay porn a lot, you know, should I be concerned about that? Or my husband looks at, you know, I don't know, S&M a lot. Uh, should I be concerned about that? And I don't know. And I know that if I'm into S&M, it doesn't go away. It's still in my brain. If I'm into, into gay men or whatever, if I watched it, it's still a part of me resonates with that. And so obviously, even though it's used to be, there's a part of him that was aroused by this. And I think there's a lot more information. By the way, I'm glad you're asking this because I think it is of concern in some way. I don't know what that means, but I really, and, and by the way, 
excuse me, if you guys don't have a therapist or don't have a useful um, psychiatrist, we work with people all over the country. I've done a lot of training. Tammy's run endless trainings. Um, just write Tammy, T-A-M-I at seekingintegrity.com. Tammy gives out, as she says, probably 100 referrals a week. So we are here to do that. We don't get kickbacks, but we do know, you know, a lot of you say, I want to see a CSAT. We want you to, too, but I want to make sure it's someone who really is on the ball with their work. So anyway, Tammy, thank you for making all those referrals. Yes. Well, yeah, I want people to have the right fit for help. And some, some of the CSATs I would refer to, you know, I would go see myself and others I would never refer to. So like it, it really does make a difference. So I know I just said it out loud and it's recorded. Okay. Hello, Dr. Robin Tammy. 35 months since D-Day. CSAT every other week goes to SPAA meetings twice a week. Denial and acceptance still there. Um, so I'm thinking non-acceptance, denial and non-acceptance are still there. So much that when we check in, we end up fighting due to his inability to accept himself and inability to validate he did those things to me. He says he understands the impact his actions had on me. Well, seems impossible, seems to me due to shame. Should I not expect him to be more empathetic at this point, less defensive? I want to answer this question, but I also want to say we get this question a lot in various forms. Like my spouse has stopped acting out, but why are they still uh, an asshole? Why are they still so narcissistic? Why don't they understand how to give me empathy? Even if they're sober, I think this is not an unusual thing that men in particular struggle with. And I wrote a book about this for men to have understanding and empathy. We also teach a course. It's called Out of the Doghouse. Um, which is where we are if we cheated on you. And uh, there's a lot about, I don't know that, that innately some of us will be able to fully feel an empathy. It, you understand if we didn't get empathy, it's hard sometimes for us to express it. But what I've noticed is, and why I wrote the book, is I can teach someone how to act empathically. And when they do, they get a positive result. And so the more empathic they are, the more positive result they get. It reinforces itself. All of a sudden, they've learned how to be empathic. It, it's kind of like a little trick. So if you want to learn how to act empathically so you can you know, walk your way into running, um, that's what Out of the Doghouse is. And we teach a course, and I wrote the book, and Tammy knows this. It's my most popular book because I think a lot of men struggle. Uh, it's just about cheating, not just a sex addiction. A lot of men struggle with how do I get you to forgive me, as opposed to how do I come to peace and understanding with what I've done to you? So in answer to your question, yes, he should. This isn't a month or two. This is three years. Um, I would, uh, what did Tammy, we used to talk about dry drunks. Can you say maybe a little bit about that? Well, so people who quit drinking, but don't really change. And that, that's where I was going with this is, you know, seeing a CSAT every other week, going to two meetings a week, so you, you, I mean, that's a minimal input for a 24 seven issue. Um, but yeah, so the dry drunk is if I just stop drinking, but don't change anything, that's a dry drunk. And ultimately I'm not happy, joyous and free and probably still wreaking havoc. But I wanted to tag on a couple of things. So, so one of the things you put in here and, and I just want to unpack this, um, except himself and, and the inability to validate uh, he did those things to me. And I'm wondering if we could reframe that a little bit is he did those things and they had a huge uh, negative impact on me. So rather than you did this to me, 
your behavior has, you know, has hurt me. It hurt him. He's a broken person. You've been around here because you've been, I know you're, you've been around here. So, you know, pro-dependence, you love a broken person. What I hear is somebody who's not doing enough. Dr. Rob has talked about this before. It's like, if this isn't working, do more. This is like seeing a CSAT every other week and, and, you know, going to two SPAA meetings. You didn't mention what step he's on. He should have been through the 12 steps, you know, ideally no later than the first year. And what steps are, is he, you know, continuing to work? Is he working 10, 11, 12? If he's just attending meetings, that's called warming a chair, but it isn't really doing the work. You know, you have to do the steps. You have to do the work. Nothing changes if nothing changes. And what I, and I'm just reading this, so I don't know. And, you know, you could probably write a novel on, all of this. The other thing I wanted to key in on is like when we do checks in, check-ins, we fight. And I was like, then, mm. then why have you, you put yourself through that? The point of a check-in is to, to increase communication to, you know, so I'm wondering if there's a different way to do this. Maybe it's time for the two of you to be working with a, a couples therapist, just to have some language to use. You know, is there a time when you're not doing a check-in where you can say, this is, this is a, a bad dance we're doing the, the negative two-step and we don't want to keep doing this dance. Can we do something different? How can we, rather than having this escalate and keep doing the same thing over and over again, how can we do this different? How can we vision having a better relationship? But the, you know, so all of that to say way more for him. Yeah, I would love him to participate in the out of the doghouse, you know, work group. And that still wouldn't be enough. We have drop-in groups for men, I don't know, five times a week, you know, so, so there's opportunities. Yeah, they're all free. And, but, you know, listening to a podcast, the two of you, and then discussing, what does that mean to you? Having a discussion. And, but, but I'm wondering, because you have more emotional maturity, if you can go, you know, I'm not going to fight. I, you know, I'm going to be curious about this, but I'm not going to engage in the fight because otherwise we just keep doing this thing. You know, is there a way for you to, you know, step back, hold healthy boundaries? You know, we're not going to do check-ins until we can do it in a way that's meaningful and helpful, you know? So that's... I really, Tammy, I appreciate you saying that point about to me because I actually wanted to jump mm -hmm. off that since you brought it up. Part of what's going on, I think, is that that sexual and romantic betrayal is so, 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 so personal. How could someone not be doing this to you when they've ruined your life and, and they've had sex with other people and they've been looking at porn 12 hours a day? Of course, it's so personal. And I wouldn't take that away, but I, I, if you put it in terms of addiction, and please forgive me for this, um, if I got a DUI because I was drinking so much and uh, I came home to my spouse or I had to get have them pick me up in jail or something, they wouldn't say you did this to me. They would say, I can't believe you're doing this. It's ruining our lives. You know, you could have killed the kids, whatever it is. But when it's alcohol, drugs, gambling, it isn't so much. It, it's a nightmare, but it's not in that personal sense. And I'm not saying you don't deserve that personal sense or it isn't accurate. I'm just saying it's harder to see this issue, it, it's harder to not feel it was done to you when it's a form of addiction that is so, so, so personal. Did, did I say that right, Tammy? Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Well, yeah, yes. And, but at the end of the day, whether it's alcohol, I mean, gaming, gambling, cannabis, sex, porn, whatever it is, it's still the brokenness of addiction. I'm looking mm -hmm. to fill the hole in my soul. So I'm using something and it's 
I'm, you know, bitterly personal to, to, to betrayed partners because, because here's the thing. And I tell this to partners all the time. You can never understand an addict brain because you would never do that. You would never do that. You can't even, you know, like your brain can't, you know, do the crazy stuff that an addict brain can. And it's not an excuse. It's a reason, but, but again, you know, does an addict intentionally do something to a partner? I, I, I think it's a rare, 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 you know, person. It's more about, I need to do this. I'm so compelled to do this. I need, this is my coping mechanism. And so I'm going to do this despite the negative consequences, despite the hurt that I'm causing my partner, myself, my relationship, everything, you know, people whose jobs, I mean, like there's a lot of devastating things that happen within this addiction. So yes, it feels incredibly personal, but you guys are in a three-year negative spin. So, so is there a way to shift things just a little bit and maybe start to see things move in a different direction? It feels like you're stuck and, you know, something's got to get unstuck. So I hope for you. So I will just say to you, I want you to please mention the new Ken Adams book about children of sex addicts. I was going to put it in the, in the chat, but I couldn't find the link. Um, I know we've been asked this question forever. Yeah. Yeah. So just briefly before we move on, a colleague of ours, a gentleman who who wrote Married to Mom and those books about maternal enmeshment and how it plays out in adult relationships, Dr. Ken Adams has written a book, which we just didn't have anywhere in the literature, which is what do you do with a kid whose father is a sex addict or whose mother is a sex addict? What do you tell them? What if they find out? What does it mean for them? What what do they worry about with their kids? This is really, we get asked this all the time. Sometimes it's in anger, like, gosh, darn it, I'm so angry at you, I'm going to tell the kids. Not a great idea. Sometimes your kid walks in the room and they find porn and that's what it is. So we really needed a book in this area. And thank you for letting me interrupt, Tammy. But I just, uh, it's just coming out. And if you do have children and they have been aware of these issues, and I'm talking about adult children and younger children, you may not... You may not read it to the younger children, but it'll help you have an understanding of what they're going through. So I just want to announce it because Dr. Adams just put that out there. and I will forget. Um, yes. Yeah. So this has nothing to do with the previous question. This was just a no. pause to share. So it's called A Light in the Dark, The Hidden Legacy of Adult Children of Sex Addicts, a groundbreaking book detailing the unique issues experienced by adult children who grew up with sexually addicted parents and offering a path to unburden their shameful legacy and embrace sexuality and intimacy without the intrusion of or constraints from the past. So that's on Amazon. I put the Amazon link. It's pre-ordered. It's not coming out till February of next year, but he's going to do a podcast with Dr. Rob um uh early next year too so stay tuned but great, great resource. thanks Tammy I didn't okay. know yeah it just came across it so let's keep yeah. moving okay so next question me and my wife are getting so fatigued from this recovery process it's one step forward and two steps back I'm owning it's on me being the betrayer this don't seem to stick I've stopped sexually acting out for over two years but still get caught out with lack of honesty and transparency what is why is this part so hard for me to get right honesty and transparency Welcome to addiction. So, well, I, and I I'm not saying that sarcastically. Yeah, I'm like, that's yes, you just, are, but that's I'm, okay. No, it's the um, truth. It's like, welcome to addiction. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to, um, so being a sex addict, one of the greatest challenges for us, and it's interesting that it is, is being assertive. You know, when I get mad at you, 
the logical response is not to go out and see a sex worker. When I have a fight with my boss, the logical thing is not to go out and get a sensual massage. So we don't say to you, I'm angry at you. We don't say the boss, I'm disappointed. Or if we don't get our point across, we run to do something else that's passive. Being um, actively uh, engaged with you and telling you I'm upset or what's going on or whatever it is, not in a yelling, screaming way, but actually saying, this is bothering me. You know, we're not very good at that. And a lot, a lot of it goes to back to, to early life when no one would listen to us. And so what was the point? Um, but, or some of us had abuse and we learned, oh, if I tell the truth, someone's going to beat the crap out of me, which has happened to a lot of people I work with. They, why would they have learned to be truthful when truth was going to cause them physical or emotional pain? So there are some reasons from the past and we don't need to talk too much about why that happens. But um I think it's understandable that we, plus we've been lying for so long <laughs> and we don't want to upset our spouse. Hey, our spouse has been upset enough about all the stuff we did. And the last thing I want my spouse to be upset about is that I forgot to take out the garbage. You know, I've already been through two years if I ruined their life. And it's true. However, um, you can clean this up. Tammy would be interested in my using this, uh, talking about the 10th step. You know, we have in our 12-step programs, which is really if you want to know what that is, it's a way of living. It's simply, I didn't get particularly good teachers. I, it's not, it wasn't their fault, but this is a guide to what do I do here? And how do I do that? And what if I want this? I mean, I think the 12 steps are really helpful in that way. And one of the most important ones, once you've done a lot of the hard work, which you'll have to do again and again, is, is, is reviewing your day each day and saying, is there anything I don't feel good about? Is there anything I want to clean up? And I think you can put this into action with a spouse. You know, what I've done with clients, and I certainly would suggest it to addicts, is if you really can't be transparent in that moment for whatever reason, have a discussion and make a commitment to your wife in this case that you will go back to her within 24 hours or 12 hours or whatever it is to tell her the truth. So she may say, did you take the garbage out? And actually, I forgot, but I'm kind of running it to the curb when she's not looking. The next day, you need to go back and say, you know what? I, I was, I didn't want to get you mad at me. And I, I just cheated on the garbage. I, I lied to you about it. I'm so, so sorry. And by the way, you have to do that. You have to do that because you don't understand that if you lie about the garbage, that your spouse will say, if they're lying about this, this little thing like taking out the trash, imagine what else they're lying about. So it's hard for us to understand that by maybe ducking it, we'll be fine, but we're not fine. And it's a really bad idea because little lies mean a lot when you've been breaking trust all over the place. So in any case, I would not go into your past for 20 years trying to understand this. I would find a simple technique like, you know, I may not say the right thing or do the, but I'm going to come back in this period of time and I'm going to tell you. By the way, th this is not count for acting out. Acting out is something you need to address pretty quickly. Um, you need to talk to your sponsor. You need to get through, or your therapist. You need to get, and the reason for that is so you can not run to your spouse and say, "Oh my God, look at what I did." You know, you need to kind of be in a different kind of place to talk to your spouse. But other than that particular thing, which I think they need to know about as quickly as possible, setting a twenty-four hour rule, I think, is a, can be very useful for couples. Well, and we mentioned this in a previous one too. What I don't hear is what you're doing. You know, um, we're fatigued from this recovery process and you stop the acting out, but that's just addressing the symptoms. So the acting out is this. So what's the underlying issues? And it's not about, you know, figuring out all your childhood trauma from 20 years ago, but it, you know, like 
when I'm anxious, I want to act out when I'm depressed, when I'm, you know, when I'm happy, I want to, whatever, whatever it is. It's like, so how, you know, what is your relapse prevention plan? You know, what, what are you doing? You know, how many 12 step meetings are you going to a week? You know, how many, I, I, I put the link, um, there, a, a dear friend of ours, um, did a video series going through the 12 steps and she unpacked word by word the, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And there was some great insights that, you know, she shared with me and that video series is under the video resources under resources. You'll, you'll find it and you can always email me, but, but she really unpacked it. But I shared, I shared, so I can say what I shared, but I shared that I didn't get an owner's manual when I was born and the 12 steps gave that to me. And the people in the 12 steps taught me how to read the paragraphs in the owner's manual. Like, you know, if you've got an automotive one, like it tells you to do these things to you know, change oil or whatever. And they told me how to do those things. And so you need other people. If you and your wife are only doing this together, it's no wonder you're fatigued. You're, you're spouse deserves support we have lots of betrayed partner groups on on sex and relationship healing i'm trying to point my finger this isn't holding as well today but and then we've got the you know the men's dropping groups those are one thing 12 step the the sex addiction 101 um uh, work group the porn addiction 101 out of the doghouse we've got the inner child we've got attachment wounds. we've got so much good work you know on those work groups that help you do some of that deeper work and make you know, sense of things of what's, you know, what's really triggering here. So, um, but if the two of you are just, you know, navigating this and, you know, going back and forth, it is exhausting and it, you know, you're not ever getting a break. So, so having a plan, we've given lots of tools on these webinars of like having a 20 minutes, you know, two or three times a week. And this is when we talk about these, you know, telling the truth and telling it faster. Dr. Rob talked about the 24 hour rule. Great. I mean, there's so much, you know, just learning to implement a few simple things, you know, starts to shift things and then people start to build trust and they start to have more hope. So recovery is awesome, but it's not simple. And it's not oh, like, oh, I did it for X amount of time. And now I'm all better. Unfortunately, it's a lifelong process. So, and I want to add again, Tammy, you always really trigger things for me that are helpful. <laughs> you said I'm owning it's on me being the betrayer. Okay. What are you doing about it? It's not enough to say, wow, I, I have this issue. You know, are you bringing up in therapy? Are you going to groups? Are you making new boundaries with your spouse? This, do you have a sponsor? You know, because this is exactly what they're for. And so I, I am the betrayer. I'm taking responsibility. Great. But words, not so much. What are your actions around this? And, mm -hmm. you know, you have lots and lots of choices. So, mm -hmm. but uh, I wouldn't sit in this. I would actually do something about it. Um, so hopefully, and by the way, why is not the right question? Mm -hmm. Why is this so part from, hard for me to get? It's not, a, who cares why? What matters is how can I get this right? How? And that, how are skills you can learn? Why? I, and I say this to Tammy a lot. I could show someone an entire film of their whole life since they were zero to 25. It'd be a long day. And they still wouldn't be able to stop acting out because knowing is not the same as changing your adult behavior. So anyway, I'll throw that out there. No, I, I agree. And I use that a lot too. How is a far more useful question than why? Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.